This episode is brought to you by Odeon, and if you've been to watch a film at Odeon lately, you'll know that nothing beats that cinematic feeling. It's not just about stuffing your face with delicious popcorn, although let's be honest, that helps. It's your hair standing on end, your palms sweating, and being transported somewhere magical. It's feeling every footstep of some giant lumbering monster. It's car chasers, space battles, and your heart beating out of your chest. It's about feeling cinematic, and nobody does that better than Odeon. Head to odeon.co.uk or download their app to book your next adventure today. Also, just before we head to our fantastic virtual cinema, how would you like a pair of tickets to head to a fantastic and very real cinema? Because the lovely people at Odeon have handed us a pair of tickets to give away every show. So if you'd like the chance to head to your nearest Odeon and enjoy a movie, all you need to do is leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or a comment on our socials. I'll explain more at the end of the show. Finally, if you want some visual extras from the show or simply to get in touch, we're on Instagram, Twitter and TikTok. TikTok at Trip to Movies Pod. And if you like to watch your interviews rather than listen, go ahead and subscribe to our Trip to the Movies YouTube channel where you'll find the full video interviews for all our guests in glorious Technicolor. All right, back to this episode if you are ready. Let's do this. Hello and welcome to A Trip to the Movies, the podcast where each week a special guest takes us on an incredible journey as they curate their perfect night out at our fantastic virtual cinema. This week we are joined by a brilliant actor nominated for an international Emmy for her very first role in Sky TV's The Runaway and who has since gone on to star in everything from last year's gripping BBC thriller The Control Room to DC's Legends of Tomorrow to the excellent martial arts drama Warrior and who can currently be seen in Irvin Welsh's brilliant crime which has just been added to ITVX ahead of season two this autumn. Taking us on today's trip to the movies, it's the supremely talented Joanna Vanderham. Hello, Joanna. Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Uh, it's wonderful to have you here. So um, that was just a little snippet of your CV there. I did, uh, did I include the right things? Are you, are you happy with that introduction? Yeah, I mean, that, I mean, it's a hell of an introduction. I think if you could just follow me around and go into rooms <laughs> ahead of me from now on, that would be really helpful. Um, yeah, I mean, I, th- I think you mentioned a couple of my like fave shows and the ones that have got like, uh, especially Warrior, like it's got this kind of very enthusiastic fan base. It's uh, the f- one of the few shows where I'm receiving like fan art, which I love. Um, and it's always quite funny to see how people see you and uh, and so I, I love getting sent those. And I think that that takes a specific type of show to really capture people's imagination to, to encourage them to like inspire them to go on and make more art out of it. So mm. yeah, love Warrior, loved, loved filming The Control Room and can't wait to talk about crime. Yeah, I, I, I love I love Warrior because period dramas are, aren't normally my, my go-to. Uh, however, period dramas with some kick-ass fights, some of which was directed <laughs> by the brilliant Justin Lin. Ah, oh, now now we're talking. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's a bit of a legend in the business, isn't he? And um, such a nice man. I think that was one of the things about Warrior is like it really did feel like we were just one big kind of uh, company working together. So even though my character didn't necessarily do any stunts i had like one scene where i was kind of flipped over and landed on the pavement um but i got to go and work out with everyone every day and i kind of got to like be in the training studio and that was a real bonding exercise because you know you're up at 
the crack of dawn and you are sweating out. You know, we were filming in South Africa, so it was hot. And uh, that is a real bonding experience, I think. So when you've kind of gone through that together, you really, you feel like you can kind of handle anything. And we were just then so excited for people to see the show because as you say, it's, it's a period drama with a twist. And I'd kind of got to the point where I was like, oh, I've done a few period dramas. I'm not sure, you know, I focused on moving into more contemporary stuff. And uh, when this role came up, I was like, do you know what? Like this woman is a contemporary woman. She's she's a businesswoman and she's trying to kind of change the world. And I thought there was something really um, that I related to in her in that sense. So um, I kind of loved getting to bring her to life, even though they did the – the drama, the dramatization thing of, of putting their characters through hell. So it was never easy for her. It was never easy for anyone. And, and that was what made it such a good drama. And you and you said you filmed that in South Africa. Whereabouts were you in South Africa? Yeah, so we were in Cape Town, the, the Cape Town studios there. And uh, interestingly enough, that's where I filmed The Runaway, which is the the other show that you mentioned, the my first ever show. So there was a really nice kind of uh, sense of coming home because I'd, I'd filmed there sort of nine, eight years prior and uh, a lot had changed, but it still has a really special place in my heart. You know, the weekend you could just, you know, drive up to Stellenbosch and go wine tasting. So <laughs> that was kind of cool. It was kind of cool. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I've not actually been to Cape Town. I've, I went to Durban and a lot of the South African crew I worked with in Durban were like, yeah, you want to go to Cape Town. Cape Town's the real place you want to go. It's absolutely beautiful. Apparently it's stunning. And did you go in the sea though? Because I hear like it's a, it's a shark hotspot. Uh, Cape Town. There's a lot of sharks off that coast. It, it is a shark ho- shark hotspot, but it's also absolutely freezing. Um, it's I can't remember which ocean it is. People will let me know, but um, I didn't go in because it was mainly because it was so cold. But have you heard about these this duo of orcas that are like patrolling off the coast of South Africa, and they've found uh, at least five great white sharks have been washed up with their livers missing and they're blaming it on these two orcas they're called port and starboard because their fins point point their dorsal fins curve over and so they've like chased the great white sharks out of the area um and they don't really know what that's going to do to the ecosystem so like scientists are are kind of watching it waiting to see like what effect that's going to have to like the whole ecosystem because they're obviously like apex predators so I just thought that was like super interesting. Um, so if we had gone, you know, we wouldn't have seen any sharks anyway. Yeah, I did read about that. It's uh, mm-hmm. it's weird, it, like because it's not it's not something that orcas do with the amount of frequency that Port and Starboard are doing. It's a very rare occurrence, and um, and it's the liver bit that's sort of weird. It's almost yeah. Hannibal Lecter like, like you know, oh. it's like you know, we, we're we're not just killing the sharks; we're specifically eating their their livers with a nice Chianti. Absolutely, going going straight for the the fatty bit that has all that energy in it seems so wasteful to me. But. <laughs> yeah, and um, now before we get into some of the other shows that I want to talk about, um, you wanted to be an actor from from the day one, didn't you? As far as I understand it, it was like from an early age you kind of knew this was the profession that you wanted to embark on. Pretty much, pretty much. I um, I think I was six or seven. And I found out that two of my friends in primary school were going to this drama club. And I just, I wanted to hang out with them. I was like, I want to be involved in this. And then I went and we were doing the story of Tam O'Shanter. I don't know if, if you know it at all, but it, 
um, I have to familiarize myself with it because I actually tell this story and then I forget what the story is about. I just remember that there's this uh, drunken guy called Tam and he like uh, is making his way home and he basically is out after midnight and then he gets chased by witches and that like lead witch chases him and like grabs his horse's tail and pulls the tail off as he jumps over this body of water because they're not allowed to, the witches can't cross the water. And so it was this kind of like visceral, terrifying, you know, I was like si- like six and thinking like there are witches outside that are going <laughs> to chase me if I'm out after midnight. And I got to play one of the witch. I think I was like the lead witch. And my mom and my dad and my family had to come and watch us. And in my head, this was like the the production values. It was like we were there. We had like transported everybody. And realistically, we were probably just running around <laughs> in a community center and like, but in my mind, it was so real and and so transportive um, that that kind of first experience was like, you know, it, I was like, oh, this is this is such an incredible feeling. And then when I was in high school, I realized that I could actually do this for a career and uh, did did all the auditions for drama school and stuff, and ended up getting into Royal Welsh College in Cardiff um, when I was seventeen. So it was it was sort of something that I had a real passion about. And then when I was deciding what I wanted to do, I was like, I'm just have to give this a go. I can't look back on my life and wish that I had. Mm -hmm. So I was very lucky that my parents were like, okay, you can see if you get into drama. It's always been that thing of like, see if you get in. (laughs) Okay. See if you get a job. Okay. See if you get another job. And like, even now my parents aren't relaxed. They're just like, oh, oh, are you all right? (laughs) When's the next one coming? And I'm like, I know. Tell me about it. Do you not feel that though? Because it, you know, you, it, it is a profession that is sort of, to a certain degree, based on waiting for the phone to ring. And obviously, you build up a body of work, and the phone starts to ring more frequently. But I, I, I don't know about you, but you know, in a in a in a similar way to to my profession, when TV stuff, it's like when that phone doesn't ring, it can only be for like two weeks. You were like, "That's it, I'm done, I'm finished, it's over." Yeah, I mean, I think everyone does have that, and and um. Also, the sort of imposter syndrome of like when you get a job, being like, "This is the one that they're going to find out that I I can't do this. That they're gonna. This is the one that's going to out me as being a total fraudster." <laughs> um, but I think you sort of have to find a way to fill the time in a productive way. So, um, I've written a play that I'm I'm trying to produce, and I have a TV. Se- I've got two TV series that I'm trying to produce as well. So I've. I've sort of used that time when I'm waiting for, as you say, waiting for the phone to ring, um, to create stuff. And, and I think I'm at a point in my career where I feel like I'd love to have a say in the types of stories that I'm telling and the types of stories that people are, are witnessing. And I think that's, uh, we have a bit of a responsibility as, as kind of creatives and storytellers to, uh, be mindful of what people are consuming. And um, I feel like I would love to contribute to that. And so I've got a couple of different projects that I'm trying to convince other people that they should pay for. <laughs> and I guess I guess it also takes the, the power back. It reduces the anxiety. I mean, this is, I'm possibly speaking about myself here, but when you are doing stuff that is yours from the ground up and that you have I guess control over and control over your destiny. It does help you relax and and not be as as panicked on such a frequent basis. 
Totally. I mean, I think you are speaking a universal truth for, for artists and especially for kind of people whose jobs rely on a production existing. You know, a musician could always just pick up their guitar and play on a Sunday afternoon, but it's not like I can just act in my house <laughs> by myself. Do you know what I mean? It's not yeah. something that you can just, that muscle you can't exercise. So it does give you that sense of control and it does also give you that sense of when the big auditions come in, you're not as nervous. You don't have that like, oh my God, my entire career is writing on this 20 minute meeting. And because you know with confidence in the back of your mind, well, actually I have to go back to my house because I've got to finish, I've got a deadline for this other thing. And I think there's something quite attractive. People are, um, people lean into the idea that you have something else going on and, and they would be lucky to kind of have you in their, in their show. So it kind of all ties into that. And it stops me from just like doom scrolling on Instagram or, or like TikTok for hours on end. So it's it kind of also self-help. Like even if these things don't get made, it's like I just I just feel like a better person for having been a creator rather than been a consumer of content. Mm. And that responsibility that you're talking about, about being responsible for, for what you're putting on screen. As you're working on these these scripts and these TV shows and your play, uh, while you're still performing in other people's work, are you quite conscientious about the kind of roles you're picking and the tone and the themes in the shows that you're going to be a part of? I I think so. I think the main thing that that attracts me is the is the character and whether I feel like I'm, I'm going to be challenged by them, and um, obviously like the rest of the creative team. So when I when I saw the uh, opportunity to be in crime i was like irvin welsh has written this degree scott is starring in this have like absolutely i want to be involved because they're you know such um iconic people especially in scotland like we we grew up on irvin welsh and like getting to kind of be in one of his shows it felt like i'd ticked a massive kind of scottish box but at the same time like he's making shows that i wouldn't necessarily uh approach because like create because of his life experiences and so like his the way that he grew up in edinburgh and i feel like he has a very unique voice and that allows him to kind of comment on what he does comment on which is like corruption in the police force uh the inequality in like between classes in scotland and how they're how the police force then interact with each different type of kind of class as they see them and that is something that I feel like he can write about so well that I wouldn't probably like, that's kind of why I love being in stuff. Cause I'm like, Oh cool. You've, you've come up with this and you've made it and you've like brought it all the way to through to fruition where you're at a point where you get actors involved, which is actually like the last stage. And I think as an actor, you can start to think that you're the most important part because you're the face and you get to go to all the screenings and you get to go to all the glamorous things and there are awards and stuff. But actually it's like these projects have been in like the pipeline for years. Like I think crime was crime. Uh, Dugray and Irvin have been trying to make crime for a decade before it actually wow. went into production. Yeah. Um, so that was like their baby. And um, so I knew at that point that I was just, I was just kind of like, one of the last pieces that was coming to kind of join a team. And you do have to switch off your producer brain at that point And you just go like, this is the show that they're making. And how do I fit into this as like, what's my kind of cog? What do I do in this machine? Um, 
which in and of itself is like another really cool challenge. So and I love it, having kind of all of them. And it's, um, it's, I mean, like, like obviously coming from them, uh, the, the mind of Irvin Welsh, it, it's, it's slightly grittier than your average police drama. And I'm right in thinking it's a sequel to a movie that I absolutely love, which is quite a weird thing to say when people see this movie. If anyone's seen it, you love that movie because it's like being punched in the gut. But Filth with James McAvoy is just such an incredible film. Yeah, yeah. So it's if it, it's the same kind of uh people as as exist in that world. So we have, you know, you're Ray Lennox and I play Amanda Drummond and you've got Ken Stott pay, playing Bob Toll and um they they live in the same world as as um James McAvoy's character and I think what's really exciting about the show is that it's like you so even if fans of Irvin Welsh have read the novel Crime. It's actually a uh it's actually the prequel to the novel, which is in and of itself a sequel to Filth, if that makes sense. Yeah. So it's like this little sweet spot where you'll know all the characters and you'll know who's going, you know, who's involved, but it's content that you haven't seen before and it's a storyline that you haven't seen before. And I think what was really fun about it is that, you know, Irvin is, um, in in and of himself, he's like really quiet and unassuming and just very kind of gentle and soft. And you kind of don't expect that when you see his shows. Um, but what he does do is that he, he sees characters kind of as they're never just one thing. They're, no one's ever just good or just bad. And I think he pushes that to the extreme in his dramas. And that's what we get to see in crime. So especially Dugray's character kind of, struggling with his alcoholism and his drug addictions he um and the case that we're that we're trying to solve it basically causes him to kind of uh unravel and the and the, the way that he's been so tightly bounded in order to kind of get through day-to-day life it all starts to kind of peel away and and, and uh that's what you're that's essentially what you're watching as well as the pr- procedural so people who love like a kind of who done it are going to love the show, but then there's the people who want something that's like a bit more of a kind of human centric drama. You're going to, we're going to take that box as well. So yeah, he did well. Yeah. It's, um, it's funny what you say about Irvin Welsh. Cause I, I, I had my preconceptions about the kind of guy he was going to be. I had the pleasure of hosting the train spotting two premiere in Edinburgh. And I met him for the first oh. time and he was just so so at odds with this image I'd, I'd built up in my head of the man who wrote, you know, Acid House and Train Spotting and Filth. Yeah, absolutely. He's he's also much taller than I expected. <laughs> yeah. I expected this kind of small, angry man. And actually, he's like a very suave, tall, absolutely contented gentleman who just, um, you know, he's very, he he has political opinions and he voices them. And I think he puts them into his characters. And by giving his character strong opinions, people maybe sometimes mistake that for him having those opinions himself. And um, actually, I think what he's doing is making his characters have a conversation so that off screen, that conversation is raised in in society. So I feel like um, it's easy to think of him as being kind of a bit fucked up, but he's not. <laughs> yeah. 
No, no, he's not at all. He's not at all. So obviously this is a, it's just, it, it was on BritBox initially. It's now moved to ITVX season two coming out. I mean, season one had such great reviews, both for the show and, and for yourself. When you see those reviews, do you, do you get, you allow yourself a moment to bask in, in positive reviews? Do you even read them? Um, I, I try not to, because I think even good reviews, they kind of miss like the, they miss the nitty gritty of what we've been trying to do because, but we're so involved because we've spent so much more time on it that, um, even the good ones you think, Oh, but you didn't talk about this. So I've actually, I've, I really try not to, not to look, um, what was really kind of heartwarming is when Dougray won the Scottish BAFTA and then he went on to win the International Emmy. I was just so thrilled for him because the effort, the the work that he has put into creating this show and then playing the character, it it was actually um, really inspiring to watch and to, to, to witness. And I think he really deserves that uh, recognition and hopefully that will convince, you know, this because we are now going to be on ITVX and and season two is coming out, I think having that uh, kind of accolade will will push people to, to watching the show because they'll, they'll go, oh, it's been nominated and it's won and that we should watch this. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm just excited for more people to get to see what the world that we've created and what we've been working on. And in season two, my character gets pushed even further. So there's a kind of, this is what I was, uh, you know, saying about Irvin never creates someone who's all good and all bad. And I think my character is quite convincing that she's um, got everything together and, you know, she's figured her life out. And then slowly, like right at the end of, of the season, something happens that makes the audience go, oh, my days. She doesn't know what's she's she's you know, just as conflicted as everybody else. And then that really gets uh, its airtime in season two. So tune in for season one, but stay for season two. (laughs) All right then, Joanna, you are about to take us on your perfect night out at the cinema. You are our guide. We are your audience. Let's go on a trip to the movies. So, right? Big, big (laughs) moment. We push open the doors to our temple of film and find ourselves in the foyer. There's an excited buzz, as there always is in a cinema foyer. The hum of anticipation. It's your perfect cinema trip, Joanna. Who have you picked, living or dead, to go with you? So, I have picked to go with me, my best friend, Stuart. And I did think about bringing someone that was like an icon in my life. And then I realized that like, you're not really supposed to talk during the movies. So it would be a waste. And they would just sit there silently and I'd be staring at them. And it'd be really awkward. So um, I decided to bring my best friend Stuart. Also because he's the one who will always text me and be like, this film is out. This film is coming out. Let's get stuff in the diary. Um, he really gets into the mood of kind of going to the cinema. But um, it's... Uh, I do also have to to kind of gear myself up for the fact that he's always late. So as I push open the foyer door, I know that I'm not looking for him. I'm going to stand in an obvious position and wait for him to arrive ten minutes later. How how late? You are, are you going to miss the trailers? Because that would upset me. Oh, we have we have missed the trailers on occasion. We've had to like sneak in as the like screen is being widened in slow motion. 
So we are we have been those annoying people at one point. I apologize. Uh, but you, you're cool with that, right? Because like Stuart, if you're picking him, I, I'm assuming you have like a, a perfect cinema companionship. Yeah, absolutely. So he he does love a small whisper. I wouldn't say that he's like, you know, distracting for anyone else. And we also have exactly the same sense of humor. So if something, if one of us finds something funny, the other one will as well. And like sharing that is kind of the joy of going to see a movie with someone, isn't it? So um, in that sense, he's absolutely the right, the right person to go with. And um, we often will then go for a drink afterwards and like fully analyze the film and like break it down, like scene by scene, performance by performance, shot by shot. And what makes that interesting is that we, more often than not, we don't disagree. I mean, we don't agree. Oh, okay. That's great. And you like that. Mm-hmm. You like the fact that you can have an argument about the film afterwards. Yeah, for sure. Like he'll think that someone's performance was great and I, I'll think it's rubbish or vice versa. And how long, how long have you been going to the cinema together? Was it, was it an epiphany when you first went together and you were like, oh my God, you are the perfect cinema companion, Stuart? Yeah, I think so. I think the first time we went, we were probably quite hungover. And I think he'd maybe stayed over at mine and then we just, the next day we were like, okay, what's going to make us feel better? What's going to pull us back out of this kind of, you know, pit of despair? And we thought we'll go to the cinema because we don't have to talk. We don't have to make any effort. We can just sit here and, you know, drink our soda. And, um, and it was after that, that I kind of went, do you know what? We should do this more. And then as we got older and we we were hungover less times, it was just, do you want to go to the cinema? Um, we'd skip the first stage and, and just be uh, just be sensible people at the cinema. All right. Well, it's you and Stuart going to the cinema. Now, Joanna, there's a clock on the wall in a foyer. It reads a specific time. What time of day have we gone to the cinema? So it's 8 p.m. on a Friday night. Wow. 8 p.m. on a yeah. Friday night. Not just the time, yeah. but the day as well. Yeah. I I want the cinema to have that atmosphere. I want other people there. I feel like if I wanted total silence or like no distractions, I would just watch a film in my house and I just, I wouldn't bother going to the cinema. But I think you go to the cinema to kind of experience these things collectively. And I kind of love watching other people react to stuff. Um so like before the movie starts, Stuart and I will sit there and we'll be like, do you think they're actually a couple or do you think they're friends? Or like, do you think that they're having an affair? Is this their first date? <laughs> we'll like look around us and like totally make up backstories for people that we don't even know. And then, and we couldn't do that in our own house. So I want the cinema to kind of be like buzzing. I want that anticipation. I want people like coming in last minute or sneaking out to get more popcorn because they're just having a great time. And like, yeah, I want people... To feel like it's the beginning of the weekend, so everyone's in a good mood. It's like late enough that they had dinner, so there's not too much snacking going on. And yeah, eight PM Friday night. Do you find that if 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 other people are laughing, because as they say, laughter is infectious. So do you laugh more when other people are laughing? Do you cry more when other people are crying? Does the emotion of a crowd instill you with a similar feeling? I think it does. Like my fiance definitely calls me an empath and and um, like if he's annoyed about something, I'll get annoyed even if I don't know what it is. Um, and I think the same is is true for like going to the cinema and especially laughter. Like if other people, or do you know what I find even funnier is when people laugh at stuff that I'm like, like that wasn't that wasn't 
supposed to be funny. <laughs> and then I sit there and I'm like, why are you laughing? Like, what, what did you hear that I didn't hear? And so I kind of enjoy other people more than, a, than the film sometimes. Like if the film is rubbish, the, the people around me can be a good distraction. And I guess it's good for your writing as well, because, you know, you have your own idea of what's funny. But sometimes if something is happening, you don't find funny, but a lot of people are finding funny. Like, wow, it's a really good understanding of, of human nature, human life, human existence, what people like that you might not. Yeah, for sure. Like, I know um, someone, so like my fiance wouldn't find like Purell jokes that funny. Like, and they do like bodily fluids or going to the bathroom. He would just be like, hmm. Whereas like me and Stuart would be sitting there being like, <laughs> like it, we would just find it so funny. And so like stuff like that, where like other people will be, will be laughing and, and um, like, I love, I love letting that affect you. And yeah, as you say, for your writing as well, it's like, uh, I had a, I had a reading of my play, my play and hearing it out loud and hearing when people were laughing and, and when they weren't, that was more concerning. I was like, hang on. <laughs> that, that line's funny. Do you want to read it again? Do you want to go back? <laughs> uh, what's the, can you tell me what the play's about? Is, are, you, are you talking about it yet or is it still under wraps as you're still writing it? I can, I can probably tell you. Yeah, I mean, I can probably tell. Um, so it's an adaptation of a Chekhov novel called The Shooting Party. And uh, it was his first kind of attempt at, at, at long form. And thankfully, Chekhov realized that he was a playwright and not a novelist. Um, so I've kind of, I came across this novel and I, and I thought, he, he's writing for the stage, but this is the wrong format. And so I wanted it to exist in a theatrical space. So I have, um, I've taken it and I have, I have enhanced some of the characters and I've removed some of the other characters and I've, had taken a little bit of creative license to to make it feel relevant to our time. Like I've changed the the decade that it happens in, so that the politics of Russia at the time marry the the politics of of our, the, the times that we live in now. Um, and I've kind of made the female character the central character, and um, it feels like it's this kind of sexy, vibrant, thrilling study of what it means to exist as a human and um i'm i'm really excited to kind of get it up in front of audiences so watch this space so you haven't done it yet you've had a read through but you haven't you haven't actually performed it in full in front of an audience exactly yeah so i have a, a director attached and uh we're going to start taking it to producing theaters and producers and get a space for it and and then hopefully get it into their program so it's such a learning curve being on the other side of things. Um, but I love it. I love kind of getting to see how, how these things come to fruition. So uh, also there's that, that uh, you know, saying that it's, it's never finished. It's only, you've only run out of time. So I'm just constantly rewriting, yeah. <laughs> um, which is a new experience for me as well, because I'm used to just being handed the script and going, okay, this is what I do. But has it given you a, a, an even greater appreciation of what the, the work that writers do on a script when you're handed, when you're like, oh my God, I just thought maybe they just knocked this up <laughs> and actually, no, it's a Absolutely. hair pulling. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I, I feel like I, oh, I often had that feeling of like, wow, you've created this. But now I have an even deeper sense of like, especially finishing something. Like a lot of people have an idea and they're like, oh, 
you know, I'd love to, I'd love to write something or, or I have a story. And then, and then they, they either don't write it or they start and then they stop and then they never exist. And so it's that pushing through to the, to the final draft or the, the most recent draft and, um, and then giving that to the world is very brave, I think. Um, I think that was one of the, the steps that I realized along the way is like, okay, this has been me in my study for full disclosure, three years. Um, and now people are reading it and they're looking at it and like, there's so much of me on the page. There's so much of my opinion and my thoughts and my feelings and my experiences in life that if someone was to say they didn't like it, there was a bit of me that was like, what would I do? What would I do if they didn't like it? But actually, as an actor, you're very used to getting notes. And I'm lucky enough that I surround myself with people who who give constructive criticism. So the, the notes that I have are, are very actionable. And they, they were, the, you know, those compliment sandwich. So mm. it's like, it was great. Have you thought about doing this? But really, it was wonderful. <laughs> so we had a couple of those. Exciting times. Exciting times. All right. We're still in the foyer at the moment, however. So you have booked the tickets for the cinema trip. Where in the auditorium are we going to be sitting? So it depends if I've booked them or if Stuart has booked them, because I would choose, this is probably a bit of a, a stereotype. I would choose right in the back row, right in the middle of the screen, because I want to I want to see the full effect. And that's kind of, again, I, my living room is set up in a really weird way. So like the, the TV's on a, on a slant. And if you're sitting, so like TV's, TV's here. And if you're sitting here, you can't see anything. It's really annoying. <laughs> I don't know why we've done that um, for the aesthetic. Um, but <laughs> when I go to the cinema, I want to be able to see everything. But okay, if I go with Stuart, he will often forget his glasses. And so then we'll have to actually sit much closer to the front than I would normally have picked. Um, but that's what friends do. You know, you don't want him to not be able to see. You're a better friend than me. I've, I've had that experience <laughs> when I've been to the cinema with people and they're, oh my God, I forgot my glasses. We have to sit at the front. No, absolutely. I, it's, 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 it's no, just no. We'll, we'll come again. Do you sit separately? <laughs> do you move? You're like, I'll wave it to you. But so, then they can't see you, so they don't know you're waving. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, wow. So you would you would forego your perfect seat in the auditorium? I would, especially because I also wear glasses. We have a similar prescription, and so um, we, sometimes we just take it in turns. So I'll be like, you can wear them for the next bit, or we'll both sit at the front, and I'll take mine off. <laughs> It's love. I, that's very, very, very <laughs> generous of you. More, more generous than uh, than me. And I think a lot of people, you know, the cinema is such a a holy experience. Having to having to not sit in the perfect seat that would that would break me. But good on you. However, oh, Stuart has remembered his glasses. This is the perfect cinema okay. trip. He's okay, got them with him. Perfect cinema trip. So we're right at the back. He's got his glasses. Oh, this is the perfect cinema trip. He's arrived on time <laughs> and he's got his glasses. Dreams do come true. Right, the final thing we need before we leave the foyer. The air is full of wonderful smells. All manner of snacks and foodstuffs are available from the various counters. What are you choosing to eat? Now, this is rogue, but I'm going to have a vegan cheeseburger with fries. Okay, a vegan cheeseburger <laughs> with fries. So, yes. Um, I am assuming, based on that decision, you, uh, Joanna, are a vegan. I am. And I feel like. 
there's never really a time in life when the answer isn't have a vegan cheeseburger. Because, like, it would just make you feel better. Like, you know, oh, go go to the dentist. Well, just have a vegan cheeseburger after. Right. Got to sit my driving test. Reward yourself with a vegan cheeseburger. <laughs> I mean, literally, I cannot think of a time when it wouldn't be the answer. I I I, um, I I was a vegan for a while, and then I moved back to vegetarian because cheese. And so I do eat vegan cheeseburgers, and I I can confirm they are a wonderful, wonderful thing. And they've come on leaps and bounds. It's not like the the bean patty of the of the early two thousands, like. This like there have been times when I'm like, is this have they made a mistake? Like this one tastes really meaty. Um, so I feel like we're not missing out on the cow bit, and we just get all the like delicious, greasy, good bit. So what was the decision? Was it uh, was it a, a, a health thing, an ethical thing, animal welfare, environmental, a bit of everything? Yeah. So like the the first thing that that made me think about it was um, the environmental impact. I kind of became aware of like how um much land and and the emissions that come from industrial farming um it, and i and i sort of thought i i don't want to contribute to that and then at the same time like simultaneously i saw this this uh anthony bourdain episode where he'd gone to scotland and i was like oh this is you know i'm in scotland and uh they went up a mountain and and they and they shot a deer and then they brought it back down and I just thought that deer was just chilling. It's so majestic and it's so strong and powerful and it's just living its life. And now it's dead. And I just thought I'm not going to eat anything that I wouldn't kill. And that list is really, really short. And so now I eat vegetables. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's uh yeah, I, 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 I fundamentally agree with you. So, yeah, I think it's a great decision having a vegan cheeseburger with fries. Um, I'm guessing that means you're not going for pick and mix either because a lot of them have uh, gelatin in, don't they? Yeah, weirdly, they're made with pigs. Isn't that kind of confusing? Um, yeah, no, I wouldn't do a pick and mix, um, but I would have like a sweet soda. I'd have like a ginger beer or more often than not, I'd actually have a gin and tonic. <laughs> so that kind of like does the sweet thing for me. And um, popcorn, sweet or salted? So again, this is why Stuart is like the best uh, cinema friend because we both like a mixture. And so I'll get sweet and he'll get salted and then we will mix them together. Or we'll just eat like a handful from each other's little container. And, uh, And it's delightful. I love a little like mixed handful. I get that. I get that. It feels... um counterintuitive however it feels not particularly efficient when you can actually buy mixed popcorn and both have your own mixed popcorn then they get to decide the ratio Ah. the person who's filling your box will be like i'm gonna put in this much of this and also then all the salted is on the bottom or all the sweet is on the bottom and you have to like stick your hand in and rig around Mm. and you don't want to do that when you're sharing. So this way, you can just just be like, I'm going to take a handful of this and a handful of that, and then you can be gross in your own space and like melt them <laughs> in your mouth, like mix them in your mouth. Okay, so it's it's mixed. I like this. I, I like the control you're taking here. You're writing scripts. You're putting on a play. You're deciding exactly what ratio of popcorn you want in your mouth between sweet and salt. There's a lot of control issues here. 
Listen, like the world is going to pot. You've got to take this when you can. Absolutely. I have no, uh, no regrets. All right, brilliant. We've got everything we need now to leave the foyer. We're going to walk down the corridor towards the auditorium. Posters along the cinema wall illustrate some of your most important movie memories. The first poster I'm going to put up depicts your fondest movie memory. So this one's kind of embarrassing, but I'm just going to um, admit it. My fondest movie memory is actually the first time I was allowed to go to the cinema by myself with my friends. So like everyone in my class in high school was invited. And so there were like loads of us. Um, I mean, I I went to high school in in Dundee in Scotland, so it's probably not that many people compared to other schools, but there were like 30 of us maybe. So you can imagine the chaos that that was going on and like, I had I had my little like five pounds and so I could buy my sweets and check what everyone else is buying and make sure that you could like, you know, that you looked cool to sit in the dark. And um and then I think we I think if I'm right, I think the film was Austin Powers. Oh no, oh no, oh no, I've made a mistake. It was um what is that what is that puppet movie? A puppet movie. Whew, I mean that's that's broad. Um, give it's me. It's called like, and they like it's like a sarcastic puppet movie, and they go and like solve crimes. Wow! So if you were in high school, a sarcastic puppet movie. God, I really wish I knew this. It feels oh, like one of those. On. I mean, trivia about films is like my thing. And, and they're yet- like America. Oh Fuck yeah, Team America, World Police. Team America. <laughs> <laughs> that was it. Yeah. yeah. That was wow. it. Wow. That was, that's a, I know. That's a hell of a movie. Yeah. So I would have been 13 when that came out. And um, that was the first time I was like really allowed to like go and be with my friends. And like there was loads of us. And um, <clears throat> yeah, and we were just, we, we all just found it absolutely hilarious. And then for the next year, probably, we were just walking around singing songs from it and uh doing quotes and like i love i love the fact that you can kind of have that uh immediate reference to something that's how kind of movies can like create a sense of of uh community like you can just make a make a gesture or or say one thing and uh it brings you together because you're like oh yeah we had that shared experience yeah so that's probably that's like quite embarrassing but that is my fondest cinematic experience i don't think that's embarrassing at all although i don't imagine have you watched it since with your with your uh, partner because i don't imagine they would uh, they would appreciate one of the greatest vomit scenes in cinema history <laughs> i think he does actually really love love that movie but um i haven't asked him what i might do tonight is be like babe um i have to watch this film for work will you um do you want to watch it with me and he always says yes because he's incredibly sportive and he'll be like are you joking? This is what we're watching. And I'll be like, America, fuck yeah. And it'll be great. Oh, lovely stuff. Yeah. Uh, I just, just hearing that song again, it makes me want to watch it. I haven't watched it for ages. And I remember having my mind blown because it is so like, oh, how have you done this? But it's Matt Stone and Trey Parker and that whole, you got to, I Yeah, do. the creative team behind it is just like, they're, they're comic geniuses, aren't they? Mm. And I think it was also in a time when they kind of had a, a bit more freedom. So, it was 
I mean, it's incredibly controversial. I feel like it would just be banned now. All right, Team America <laughs> World Police is our first poster that's going up. Our second poster, as we continue down the corridor, depicts your worst movie memory. So this is really, um, like, stayed with me. When I was, like, 10, I, I tried to get into a 12A movie. And I'd been, I'd been practicing my year of birth all morning. But because I'm an October baby, I'd actually got it wrong. And, or, or I'd like, I kept getting confused. And so when it was time and the usher asked how old I was, I said the wrong year. And we, and I was with two girlfriends, like at the same, same age. And my brother was also going to like this other movie and he got in because he was older. And, so we didn't we didn't get to to go in because I ruined it for them as well because I'd said and they were so like they were very understanding but you could tell you know and they were just like <laughs> like we'd all put on makeup and like straightened our hair and I was wearing double denim and I really thought that I looked twelve and I obviously didn't and then I and then I ruined it and so we didn't get to see the Spider Man movie. It was the I was, was going to ask it was the first Spider Man movie uh, that you didn't get to see so um. You rehearsed the wrong dates or you panicked in the moment. I want to say it's I the latter. I, I think I panicked in the in the moment, yeah. Because like I'm quite good at math, so I think I would have actually known the right year to say. And then when it came down to it, I was like... <laughs> and like, instead of just changing the year and stick, sticking with like the most amount of truth, because then it would have been two truths and a lie. But actually, I think I just went for lie, lie, lie. And I really... <laughs> messed it up and I can remember that feeling of like just the embarrassment like rising and just being like pink in the face and like sweating and like my <laughs> like my super straight hair was just like sticking to my face and I was like wiping my sweaty upper lip like oh it was just awful <laughs> so I really I really it stayed with me I mean, the, the reaction sounds like you're trying to rob a bank, not get into a 12 at 10 years old. But yeah, I understand how stressful I'm a very it can nice be. Person. <laughs> it's like the worst thing I've ever done. Oh, all right, Spider Man, the poster for that 12A movie, Spider Man, is going up. We're continuing down the corridor. Our third poster depicts the last performance that brought you, Joanna, to tears. So this was a tricky one because I, I try not to cry. And I think, um, like, as I was thinking about it, I was like, why is that? And then I was like, this podcast is probably not the time to get into that. Um, you can get do... into it. This is, a, this is a safe space. <laughs> is, this a, is this therapy time for Joe? <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. So I try, I try not to. And I think I sit there and I intentionally, I'm like, <clears throat> and I like try and get the frog out of my throat. I like refuse it. And like, in the way that when some people watch a scary movie, they have this voice in their head that's like, it's just a movie. It's not real. It's just a movie to try and like make them not so scared. I do that with like sad stuff. And I, I have this kind of like voice in my head that's like, well, no, they're just actors. They're just actors. And I like really try not to. But one film got me recently, well, recently enough, and that was Tick, Tick, Boom mm. with Andrew Garfield. It was, it was just so powerful to watch this person who was so full of life have it cut short and 
because the AIDS epidemic have affected so many people, I think there was a sense of um, it being bigger than just that story. And so that, that did get me. That got me in the end. It's an incredible film, isn't it? He's such a versatile actor as well, Andrew mm. Garfield. Like you're watching him be the best thing in the recent Spider-Man No Way Home movie. Mm. Then you see him in something like Tick, Tick, Boom. And it's like, it's chameleon-like. Absolutely. I was lucky enough to get to see him in Angels in America on stage. And I went for the double show. So it was eight hours of theater in one day. And he was just breathtaking. I mean, he was just so easy to watch and and such a natural storyteller and i think he's got a real um his versatility is not placed on him it's sort of accessed from somewhere deeper within it's not like he's trying to be a character it's like he embodies that character mm. um i really really admire him as an actor and uh you know seeing seeing him sort of do like a singing dancing even though this had a really uh, Tick Tick Boom had such a powerful message behind it. It still was like a, had musical elements, and seeing him kind of attack those with so much freedom and uh, lack of of uh, not um, you know he's 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 not thinking about what he looks like was a real kind of lesson for for me as an actor. And and um, again, I think that's why I was so moved is because it that the performance was so convincing and the 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 trying not to cry thing weirdly i i, I can relate i'm exactly the same i can i can't I, if i'm on my own i'm more than happy to cry so for me it's a sort of it's a social anxiety thing or it's i i used to think it was um because uh, i got into trouble once from a, 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 an ex-partner who said that you never cry in real life you only ever cry at films and I don't think she liked the fact that I didn't emote as a human until wow. someone put a movie in front of me. But even now, I like from a young age, like I couldn't cry in front of my parents. I was embarrassed. I like ran away from it. It was it was pre- it's, a, it's a real thing to be scared of crying in front of people. That is interesting, and I think perhaps there's also sort of um, you know the way that boys are are told to you know man up. And- mm. You know, don't cry like a girl and all that stuff. I don't know if, if, if that applies to you, so forgive me for, for implying that. But I think it's um, there is a sort of a, a social expectation to to be able to deal with stuff. It's so interesting that your girlfriend was like, <laughs> you don't cry in real I think that's absolutely fascinating. Mm. Um, I think, like, I'm trying to think back if I cry when I'm by myself in ha- like watching something at home. I still don't think I do. I still think I, I do that thing of like, no, don't cry at this. Mm. Um, but I actually find it quite hard to cry while I'm, when I'm on screen and on stage. I feel like maybe they just like, it doesn't come that easily for me. It takes quite a lot. That's interesting. To get me to cry. And yeah, and because uh, uh, there's two sort of there's two famous crying stories about actors uh, at either end of the spectrum. Um, Steve McQueen famously didn't take a role in Close Encounters of the Third Kind because the role required him to cry, and he said to Spielberg at the meeting, "I just can't cry on camera, so I can't do your movie." And then there's the famous one about Daniel Kaluuya, who um, who could cry that single tear down his cheek on command oh, yeah. in Get Out. Yeah, fuck him. 
Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I think that is incredibly impressive. The I've worked with with actors. Uh, Juliet Stevenson actually said to me that she she cries when she's angry, and she finds it really annoying. So she's trying to play a scene. The scene that we were doing was that. Um, basically someone has come to tell her that her son has, has been murdered and she wanted to portray that she was angry at the police officer, that she was furious at them for not saving her son. And she was crying and she was getting so annoyed because she's like, I, this isn't what I want to be happening. Um, and so I do think there is this like extreme, I was there like, push, poke myself in the eye. Um, and she was just like, oh, these stupid tears won't leave me alone. So like, I don't know if you can ever really, but I think Daniel Kaluuya has it spot on. If you can just like delicate little, I mean, that scene in of itself, that's like, surely someone said that that's their like favorite shot mm, I, of all time. Cause like, oh my God. It's, it's incredible. And it's also, I mean, if I was going to cry, I'd want to cry like that. Just a single, almost sexy tear down one cheek, oh. you know, not covered in snot. Yeah. Maybe you could practice that for your next girlfriend. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just whenever it's whenever it's real life, though, not a movie. Real, real life. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Our final poster we've got to put up before we enter the auditorium depicts your unpopular movie opinion. What is it? My unpopular opinion. Oh, this is probably going to be unpopular, and I and I'm going to maybe get some flack for this. I don't think that the most recent not the most recent but like you know how there are six star wars movies before the like new star wars movies i do so there was like the three original which and then there was the prequels which were made later yep and everyone says that those three are really bad i actually prefer them you prefer the star to the wars. originals okay yeah that's that is an unpopular opinion <laughs> For a certain generation, let's say. I think, I, I, I mean, uh, how, roughly how old were you when you saw the prequels? So I actually auditioned for the um, most recent ones. And I hadn't seen them until then. And so I watched them in story order for the first, that was the first time I'd ever seen them. All of them. This and is I, all of them. Y yeah, yeah. So you I don't went. Think Star Wars was like a big thing in my house, like in my family. It was never really. Ex I wasn't exposed to it. That's fine. That's fine. That's not. That's, that's that's absolutely fine. But you watched the Phantom Menace, then Attack of the Clones, then Revenge of the Sith, and then you moved on to A New Hope, Empire Strikes Back, and Return of the Jedi. Yes. Okay. And as as an adult, you still thought those first three movies were better than the originals. Yeah. Why? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I just thought, why, why is everyone made, like? Why does everyone feel like those other? Th Maybe I just support the underdog. I don't know. But I was watching them and being like, these are really f like I am in the story. I feel immersed. Some of the costumes were maybe a bit ropey in the nineteen seventies ones. Maybe it was that. Okay. Who knows? Okay, okay. That's that is an unpopular opinion. Um, how how did the audition go? I mean, I uh, for for the for well, the I'm evidently not in it, so <laughs> I think that no. To be honest, it was actually one of those really embarrassing auditions. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen Fiery Hawk on YouTube. Um, it's it's like an extreme example of of how you feel when you're going into an audition, and 
basically, so they were like, can yeah, it, so embarrassing. You, they they like give you props, but like they also have like a box of props, so you can like pick something. And like I picked like a book or something really stupid. Like why did I pick a book? And it was like a big hardback children's book that I was just like wielding around. And then I realized that I hadn't picked from the prop box. I'd picked from the casting director's children, her child's box. <laughs> it was next to me. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I just, I thought it could be a shield. I don't know. <laughs> oh, this is awful. But, you know, Daisy Ridley is excellent, so I think everyone's benefited from that situation. <laughs> how, how long into holding this book as a prop did you realize it might not be from it's, the... Well, oh, oh, when I put it back at the end of the audition. So you... I'm like, why didn't you tell me? Why did no one else in this room? It's like when Benedict Cumberbatch says penguin instead of penguin. It's like there were other people in the room that could have told him to say penguin. And you could have told me... That I had picked from the wrong box. Why was that box there? That's not my fault. <laughs> wow. Wow. I feel mm -hmm. I feel your embarrassment in that situation. Actually, I'm like blushing thinking about it. Yeah, as I put it back, I was like, oh, there's... A lightsaber. There's like a bat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. Wow. But I mean, you've got to think like... You've got to think about it like this. If you'd picked from the right box you'd be Ray in the new movies right now. I mean, like, you know, it was only that book that stopped you being in that movie. That doesn't, feel, that doesn't make <laughs> me feel good at all. That makes me feel even more stupid. As I was saying um, it, I realized that in my head that was a really good thing because it was nothing to do with the audition. It was the fact that you picked up the book. But when I said that, I realized that it was like, oh, yeah, it still doesn't change anything. Still my, still, still my fault. Yeah, yeah, this close. No, um, but if anyone is listening from the Star Wars franchise, I'm a big fan of all the movies and I'm available. <laughs> Brilliant. We're putting up then a poster for the prequels uh, because okay. wh why not? Why not? Um, we're, in, we're, into, we're into the auditorium. So um, I will say there's a queue of people hoping to join yourself and Stuart in the auditorium now you like a big crowd. I'm assuming you're letting them in. Oh yeah, they're all, yeah, pretty much full. That's what I want. Amazing. The crowd go wild. They're pouring into the auditorium now. Before we get to the movie, there's a few things I'm going to play on the screen. And the first thing I'm going to play is a trailer for the movie you're most looking forward to. What trailer are we playing? So, oh well, this is tough because I actually want two. So I'm really looking forward to seeing the next Dune movie. I loved the first one. I actually loved the original as well. The David and Lynch then, one from the uh, 80s. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I just thought like it's such an incredible world and like apparently the book is really dense. So I think like hats off to creating this film where everyone can get so immersed and like every all the storylines and all the worlds are really clear um, and engaging and kind of like by, by the end of the first film, even though it was quite long, I was like, Oh, no. What happens? What happens to them? The other one is Legally Blonde 3. And I think this really like shows the wide expanse of my passion for film. Because, like, how different can you get, really? But there have been so many delays. Like, they've been promising that they're going to release it. And then, they, then they'd said that they were going to release it this year. And then 
now there's like maybe it's been like indefinitely cancelled and I'm like but it's got Jennifer Coolidge in it what could go wrong just give it to us we will like it love Jennifer Jennifer Coolidge our god walks among us she is fantastic yeah and she's like having this resurgence and I'm just like so happy for her yeah um yeah and that first movie i wasn't a huge fan of was it red white and blonde the second one but that first movie like i'd forgotten i watched it not so long ago it goes from this one thing and then you've got this kick-ass courtroom drama at the end and i was like i love a movie that ends with a courtroom drama why did you rewatch it what like what were you doing uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, no judgment just no, really curious uh, you know I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a fan of re-watching old movies that I like no I have another podcast and I was required to watch it for that I wouldn't okay. I, I wouldn't have revisited it if it wasn't for work but I I very much enjoyed revisiting it good maybe I should yeah. again I'll be like Ben I have to I have to watch this for work <laughs> yep. he'll be like what are you doing to me maybe he'll enjoy it Team America World Police and Legally Blonde he has a hell of a night ahead of him <laughs> Uh, right then next thing we're going to play is your favorite shot or sequence from a movie so my favorite shot is the one in black swan where it's like it's like the sequence where i mean throughout the movie they play with bending reality and i think the the cgi was like really remarkable especially for the budget of the film and and the the time that it was shot and it it's that scene where she's she's at home she's not in the in the music studio and she's she's starts to feel herself changing into the swan and her eyes start to get like kind of like weirdly like bird shaped and she has this like uh all of this this is why it's like it has to be a shot because it's like you can't describe it in any other way. You can't describe it with words. But like the feathers that start to kind of push their way out of her skin and the sound effects and the the kind of ripples that like the kind of little dots all over her skin, it it makes your skin crawl watching it. And the way that she then kind of picks a feather out of her out of her back and, and and she does it really slowly in the sound effect and you feel it like you feel it in your own skin and i just think that that is incredible cinematography storytelling performance all marrying into one moment and and visual effects as well because it's it's evocative and it just it makes it so visceral um like, you know the feeling of, like, picking a feather out of a pillow, but imagine doing that out of your own skin. And it stayed with me. Yeah. I was, like, 18 or 19 when that came out, and I was I was in drama school, and so I, I could really relate to that sense of, of wanting to be the best and, and creating this competitive environment and, and watching this girl kind of just lose herself to it um, really resonated with me. So that's my favorite shot. Oh, it's I, I I I had my own skin crawling moment as you described that. It's a, it's a, the body horror in Black Swan. It's weirdly a very simple moment that gets me, and it's where she's picking at her fingers in the bathroom, and then she pulls a bit of skin, and the skin strips all the way <sighs> down the top of her finger yeah. from the nail. Yeah, uh-huh. every time, every time it gets me. It, I mean, even again, you describing that now, I'm like. Ooh. 
makes you makes you feel kind of sick thinking about it. So I think like it's just it's just so cool as well the exploration of the inside of someone's mind. Mm. Um and that film has the power to to do that to to put it on screen and for other people to say, "Oh, I understand that experience." And was drama school like that? I've always wondered whether there's a sense of camaraderie among people studying drama alongside each other or whether you are looking around going, "Well, we're going to be in competition with each other in a few years." Well, I think um, it's it's interesting because it sort of had peaks and troughs. Sometimes you really felt like you were all in it together and there was a real sort of sense of like wanting each other to to be good and to do well. It wasn't necessarily that like you felt like you'd be in competition directly with them because not, luckily we weren't really any of us in the same casting bracket. We all looked quite different and had different sort of energies and vibes and uh, approaches to things. And so I think I didn't feel like, oh, I'm going to directly, it wasn't like the, the Nina and, uh, Lily characters in Black Swan in any sense, but there was a, a sense of competing with myself of like, I would put pressures on myself that I had to be the best, that I had to, you know, get the best scenes. Mm. I had to, um, have the best feedback from outside tutors coming in. I had to, um, have the highest score on exams and that was all kind of in my own head because I, I wanted it so desperately I wanted to work and I wanted to be when I was auditioning for drama school they said in the there was this auditorium full of people and we were all there to audition and they and the head of the acting school came up and he said he said other stuff but he also said two percent of you sitting of, of everyone auditioning this year will get into a drama school. And 2% of that 2% will work professionally as actors. <laughs> and someone someone in front of me got up and walked out. And in my head, I thought, that will be me. I will work. And that drive, that confidence of an eight, of a 17-year-old, mm. it and I wish I could go back in time and just drink that back up because she was more confident than I am. And, but I do think that I had that in the back of my head of be that 2%. I will be that 2%. Mm. Um, and so it was more that kind of competition with myself rather than with anyone else. Yeah. Yeah. And you, you say you, you, even though you, to talk to that, uh, that 17 year old now and go, you did it. You actually work professionally. You're 2% of the 2%. You feel less confident now than the person who actually got you to this point. I think I think sort of ignorance is bliss, isn't it? You sort of you sort of realize that um you know when you're when you're that age you you just think, yeah, why would I not work? Why would I not be the one? And uh and now I sort of feel a little bit more like the competition's harder. The the players I'm playing against are so good. They're so incredibly talented that it's um I do. I do sometimes find that I, that I'm sort of thinking, "Oh, can I can I do this? Can I play this part?" You know, it's a little bit like saying, "I I, I can't take the role because I can't cry." It's like I probably wouldn't say that because I think on the day I could get there, but I feel like, um, yeah, I think I, I think if I could go back and be as confident as I was then, 
Maybe I should be. Maybe I should just tell myself I am. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like, well, it is. It's a, it's a bit of a confidence trick these days, isn't it? It's like you know the imposter syndrome that you mentioned earlier. It's like burying that and going. Actually, everyone, mm. everyone believes I should be here, and I do too. So shut up. All right, then. A couple more things before we get to the movie you're playing tonight. And next up, you very kindly printed out T-shirts for our audience and Stuart with your favorite movie quote on the front. What is that movie quote? The movie quote is, you've always been crazy. This is just the first chance you've had to express yourself. And it's from Thelma and Louise. Ah, I have seen Thelma and Louise once a very long time ago. And what are the circumstances that this? Who says it? Is that Susan Sarandon to Gina Davis or vice versa? Yeah. No, it's Susan Sarandon. And um, they've basically... They're they're in they've run away and they're sort of driving the car and they, they get to the motel room and it's the first night uh in this motel room and um what basically she's thinking, should I go back? What have I done? I can't do this, I can't run away. We're crazy. I must be crazy to be here. And she says, You've always been crazy. And I just think that that's wonderful. It's such it's permission. It's it's uh you know, you'll have the best adventures of your life if you're not censoring who you are i think that's the sentiment and i just think that that is lovely especially because you know with with social media nowadays and you you sort of feel like you have to convince everybody that you have a sort of lifestyle or or an appearance or that you have the coolest clothes and god it must be so difficult for for people in high school and, and younger kind of thinking like directly comparing themselves because that's what teenagers are supposed to do they're designed to 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 do that um and i just think i can't wait for everyone to feel like to realize that they can be a bit crazy mm. and that that is when they'll have more fun that's when i have the most fun in rehearsals it's when i have the most fun you know outside of work but especially in rehearsals it's when you push yourself past the point of what would i do or what would i not do into that realm of what what on earth could I do? I just think that there's so much fun there. There's so much fun to be had. So remind me of the quote, you've always been crazy that this is... This the- is just the first chance you've had to express yourself. Lovely. That's going on a T-shirt. Everyone's thrilled <laughs> with their T-shirts. Thank you again, Joanna. Right. Final thing before we get to your movie, what are we playing through the sound system? It's your favorite song or soundtrack from a film. So again, I kind of have like, this was a tough one to choose because, um, the, so they both, they're both songs that have like kind of stayed with me, um, as I first sort of started watching films. So the first one I would probably pick would be Bittersweet Symphony by The Verve, because that is the end. That's like the kind of climax of Cruel Intentions. And, um, so Reese Witherspoon's character has finally bested Sarah Michelle Gellar's character, and she's like driving off in the car that that Sarah Michelle Gellar wanted, and like that started the whole thing, the whole competition. When the whole school finds out about her addiction to cocaine and like all the other little things that she's like figured out, and I just remember it so clearly. She's got this little crucifix that she kind of unscrews, and she's like taking a sniff of cocaine when she like hears over the sound system like what's going on, and she like looks up in the mirror and she's just like got this line of cocaine on her nose and she's just like i'm fucked (laughs) and like bittersweet symphony is playing and it's just so perfect um and like i feel like that was one of those movies i probably watched too early like too young and i have my older sister to thank for that but 
Um, I turned out okay, you know, no, no issues here. Um, so yeah, so that would definitely be one. And then the other one is such a rogue choice. Go on. Um, so it's from a film called Toothless, which (laughs) I don't know if if you remember, it's about, um, like a dental assistant who gets hit by a car or a bike or something. And she becomes the tooth fairy, but she's actually in a coma. And so it's this like ridiculous movie where she's like, no, I'm not the tooth fairy. Like what's going on? But you kind of fall in love with her and you like spend the whole movie kind of wishing that she could accept her circumstances and that she would like be this good tooth fairy. Cause I mean, like, I was probably like five or six when I watched this and then right at the end, she actually dies and she like goes away. Oh my God. And yeah. I wasn't expecting so, that. I thought this was good, like a kid's movie. I think it is a kid's movie, but she was hit by a car. So it's like, also this was the nineties. Yeah. They were different. Um, yeah. Things were different. So she does, she doesn't make it or, oh no, oh no, maybe I've made a mistake. Maybe she regains consciousness. And so she stops being tooth fairy. Oh my God. This is, a, this is a roller coaster right now. She maybe doesn't die. Wow. People can Google it. I'm so sorry. <laughs> but basically, um, at the end when she like is leaving, I think she is dying. Um, <laughs> Bonnie Tyler is singing. It's a heartbreak. And like her voice is just like, iconic is something else it's just so moving and i do actually I, I would cry at that so i was like six or seven and i would just be like it's <laughs> like just singing along cry feeling my feels and i think like as a kid it was probably the first time in my life i'd sort of realized that like someone you love could leave you because mm. like i was very lucky i didn't have anyone kind of like grandma's grandma's die at that age so it was like a big life lesson and i think again it's like really remarkable that films can kind of give you that and be there and do that for society mm. um so i just thought that that was a fun one to include sorry i didn't know the plot that well that's all right i'm certainly going to look up toothless immediately after this because I, it's one that passed me by entirely and i'm interested to know whether or not she dies uh because i, I just need that closure now i'm not sure why right <laughs> the moment has arrived Joanna, it's time to announce to our excited audience and an excited steward in this packed auditorium the movie out of all others you have decided to screen for us tonight. What film are we watching? We're watching Birdman. Ah. This was so difficult. This was like... Honestly, one of the hardest questions that I have ever like had, because I, I just love, I love so many different types of films, but I feel like if you go to the cinema, you are going for a cinematic experience. So I didn't want to pick something like one of my favorite films is Girl Interrupted, but you don't necessarily have to be in the cinema to see that movie. And so I thought, what film have I seen where I've been like, I am so glad I saw that on the big screen with the too loud music and um it was an experience and it was birdman and i just think like i love the fact that it's such a comment on like the way the film industry is going and also like what it means to get older and and why humans are kind of like we're obsessed with this idea of of 
fame and and our lives having meaning and what that meaning is and even back in 2014 when it came out it was like talking about like you don't mean anything unless you've gone viral on twitter and like i just think it was kind of ahead of its time in terms of its social commentary but also it's such a cinematic movie like the way that it was shot like you feel like you are in the backstage of the theater with them and also then when he's like flying you're like oh i'm flying too yeah yeah so this is alejandro in a clearly putting something in the water in mexico you've got him alfonso caron guema del toro you know these three directors who all like one big at the oscars but this one it's been a while since i saw it the bit that i remember there's a really funny line at the start where michael keaton is uh, talking about uh about the, the like, it's a sort of thinly disguised uh, a comment on the on superhero cinema, and he's talking about Jeremy Renner and what a fantastic actor is. And someone's like, you know, he's in the new Avengers movie. He's like, they got Renner, they got Renner. <laughs> yeah, it's so good. It, I mean, I just think that it, in that sense as well, it's so clever because, um, you know, it, it, we still like the the movies going to the cinema, like it's been taken over by, by these kind of blockbusters. And there is this sort of, Oh, well, I wouldn't go and see that. You know, it needs to be, it needs to be the type of movie that I would go and see in the cinema. Cause otherwise people do just kind of want to watch it in their houses. And I feel like that, like Birdman using that ironically got people to the cinema. And I just thought that was really clever. What a brilliant choice, Birdman. Um, and there is, what, I can't remember its subtitle. It's got a great subtitle. The Unexpected Virtue of Ignorance. Yay! All right, brilliant. That is the movie we're screening. And that is it, Joanna. The curtains have closed. The guests oh. are milling out, smiling, chatting, and thanking you for taking them on an incredible night out of the movies. But before you go, it's time for this week's mystery question as we ask, <gasps> what's in the box? I saw you with the box. What was in the box? Oh, what's in the box? Oh. So... Uh, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a question that uh, I don't see until we record. Uh, okay. Ha, this is funny considering what we were just talking about, and there is no way of knowing uh, that you'd pick Birdman and indeed comment on uh, the state of cinema until right now. Uh, so having dipped your toe in the comic book movie world with Legends of Tomorrow, would you ever consider <laughs> appearing as a superhero in a superhero universe? What are the chances of that? That is so funny. Um, that, is, that, is, that is a tough question because I, like, I have a wide, um, you know, I, I love a lot of different types of films. So if they came to me and they were like, Joe, we really want you to play this like badass character. You get a cool suit. Hmm. I I think I, I probably would. Cause I actually really loved doing the CGI stuff. So when I was in legends of tomorrow, my character could pull the bones out of her forearms and use them as swords. And then, and like, it was just so, so cool to get to do that. And like, I love doing combat and I love doing a bit of kind of like the stage fighting and stuff. Um, so I, I actually think I would really enjoy it as a, as an exercise. And I think also what it then does is it gets your, your name and your face out there so that you can then, you know, get audiences to come and see other stuff. And I think, again, that's what Birdman kind of comments on is like, you know, butts on seats. Like if people know who you are, they want to come and watch your, your other stuff. So I think 
Yes, I'm going to say yes. Okay, yes. All right, good. Yeah, I appreciate the thought that you gave to that answer. And yes, I think we've arrived at yes, but yeah, that works. Okay. Joanna, that really is it. Your taxi has arrived to ferry you back to reality. But before you leave, let's recap your perfect night out at the cinema. You are going with Stuart at 8 p.m. on a Friday night. Stuart has remembered his glasses, so you're sitting on the back row in the middle. You are having a vegan cheeseburger with fries because there is no wrong moment for a vegan (laughs) cheeseburger with fries. You picked up a can of ginger beer, you put it back down and picked up a gin and tonic and then you're going to have some mixed popcorn that you're going to mix yourself because then you get the ratios exactly right. We are putting up posters. First of all, that depicts your fondest movie memory, which was when 30 of you from school went to watch Team America World Police. Your worst movie memory. The poster is for Spider-Man. It was a 12A movie. You got your birth date wrong and you were 10 years old, so you didn't get in. The last performance that brought you to tears is Andrew Garfield in Tick, Tick, Boom and your unpopular movie opinion ranged from the movie cinemas play. They sound too loud to actually... The prequels of Star Wars are better than the original Star Wars movies. We're watching trailers for Dune Part 2 and Legally Bond 3, if they actually ever make it, so we can see Jennifer Coolidge on screen again being brilliant. Uh, Your favourite shot from a movie is this creepy-ass swan transformation from Black Swan. Your favourite quote is, you've always been crazy, this is just your first chance to, I've butchered it, we all know the quote, we heard it from Joanna, that was your quote, I ruined it, I'm sorry. Uh, Next, we're playing Bittersweet Symphony from the End of Cruel Intentions, followed by a movie that I'm yet to watch, but Toothless, the end where Bonnie Tyler, it's a heartbreak plays over potentially the woman either dying or not dying. <laughs> to be confirmed, we are then going to watch Birdman. Joanna, thank you for taking us on this trip to the movies. Have you had a good time? I've had a delightful time. As we've established, I like to be in control, so... Um, getting to pick everything was was great, uh, but no, thank you so much. That was really really fun, and uh, I, I hope you. I hope that Toothless lives up to expectations. <laughs> <laughs> and as Joanna's cab carries her away from our virtual cinema, off into the distance, it's your chance to win a pair of tickets for a night out at a very real Odeon cinema. As I said at the start, the lovely people at Odeon have given us a pair of tickets to hand out every week, and if you'd like the chance of getting these tickets. All you have to do is leave us a review of the show or a comment on our socials. You can leave the review on whichever podcast platform you use, be it Apple Podcasts or other, or you can get in touch on any of our socials, Twitter, Instagram and TikTok, where we're at Trip to Movies Pod. The competition is only open to UK residents and the tickets exclude Odeon Leicester Square and Odeon Lux. And just before I say my final farewell for this episode, don't forget you can find the full ad-free video interview for today's Joanna Vanderham episode and indeed every guest on our Trip to the Movies YouTube channel. So please head over there and subscribe if you would like to watch the ad-free video interviews. And that really is it. I'll speak to you next week when another guest takes us on a trip to the movies. Bye-bye.